In this episode of the Trophy Dash podcast, I interview Rachel Brown from Kappa Alpha Theta. She talks about from high school to college and how she got exposed to Little Five and how she doubled down on it and how she became one of the top writers of her generation. It's a great conversation. I know you're going to love it. I can definitely, I can definitely hear you now. Oh, great. Fantastic. Oh, thanks for your patience on that. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to talking to you. <laughs> yeah, we've been trying to link up for a year now, but life, <laughs> life, life is busy for both of us. Certainly. Yeah, well, I'm glad that we can make it happen then. Where? Especially this, especially this time of year. <laughs> yeah, it's the best. Uh, where are you these days? Keeping your uh, focus and attention. Well, right now I'm at my home in Norwich, Vermont, um, where I live with two of my classmates. So I'm just finishing up my third year of medical school at Dartmouth, and I've got one year left. Oh, boy. So that's certainly the main thing that's <laughs> taking up my time these days. No surprise there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet, it, I bet it does. Yeah. Are you finding time to ride your bike a little bit or exercise? Yeah, I think... I anticipated that coming into med school, there would probably be one thing that I could, outside of medicine, maintain my focus on. And so I actually partially chose Dartmouth because I knew that I could ride off of campus into the woods of Vermont and New Hampshire. And so with the exception of the winter, I have been able to keep up with that. But uh, staying active, that's been crucial for, I think, yeah. maintaining my sanity and well-being. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, what was your childhood like? Were you pretty active as a kid and did you do organized sports? Yeah. So I am one of four. Uh, I've got an older brother, a younger brother and a twin sister. And so we grew up in uh, Fishers, Indiana, and it seemed like every weekend it was either my sister and I playing soccer games or I was out for um being out uh, for my brother's sports as well. So that pretty much dominated all of our summers. And I mean, both my parents are from small towns in Nebraska and Michigan and grew up playing sports too. So that was a huge, huge chunk of our time at all times of the year. (laughs) Uh, Did you like sports or was it kind of forced on you? (laughs) My parents really... They were open to whatever it was that, that my sister and I wanted to do when we were younger. So we had uh, our neighbor uh, who lived right across the street from us. She wanted to do gymnastics. And so we decided we wanted to do gymnastics for a couple of years. <laughs> she quit that to play soccer and we followed suit immediately. And my parents were never into either one of those sports, but really were, were along for the ride just because both of them are, are huge in the sports being from small towns that 
sports really dominate the scene there. So I yeah. think that was always that was always part of the culture for us uh, growing up. Uh, it seemed like no matter what we were doing, um, being active through team sports was supplementing anything else that was going on. Yeah. And did you hone in on soccer like through high school or did you do other things? Yeah. Fortunately, that friend across the street stuck with it. So I guess <laughs> <laughs> she actually she ended up playing it in Marquette uh, for, for all four years of college. And, uh, my sister and I, we, we followed along and uh, we, you know, obviously ended up deciding to, to do it for ourselves, but, uh, all through high school, that was the main thing for us. So we would play, uh, high school soccer in the summer and fall. And then in the winter and spring, we were, uh, training for our club team then. So mm-hmm. it was pretty much uh, an all-year affair. And I really didn't know any other way of being. That wasn't something I, I couldn't really conceive of not doing something like that just because that's how it had been since I was 10. Were you naturally good at soccer or did you have to kind of develop those skills? <laughs> you know, I, I think that I was naturally a team player. Uh, <laughs> But now having seen, I think, how much more natural cycling was for me, I don't think that soccer was the natural sport (laughs) for me. (laughs) Okay. I think I was somebody who really enjoyed playing playing in a position where I was queuing off of other people on my team. Um, But it's not like I had the drive and passion that I did for that, like I found for cycling. It was Mm -hmm. just, it was something where in my mind, soccer was the thing that I did. So I kept doing that. I saw it through and I loved it, but it wasn't something that I was devastated to give up by any means. It was just something that was part of my life and couldn't picture it being any other way. Yeah, I never really had to fight for it being, a priority, I think. Did you consider playing in college at all? You know, I did, but I think I I considered it in a theoretical way. Uh, Like I said, I had friends who went on to to play D1 soccer, and I think that they had this this mind and focus for it that I now recognize I really didn't. Uh, I figured that I might be good enough to to go and play at a D1 school. perhaps not not IU or, or or something like that but honestly I I didn't really pursue it in a meaningful way like talking to recruiters and going and spending time on that I was yeah. much more focused on going somewhere like I knew I was better at school than I was at soccer okay <laughs> so I I was not gonna go to some small d1 school to make soccer the focus of my college career when uh-huh. I was probably more competitive about my academics than I was about my sports at that point in time which I recognize you know has, has its own uh benefits and cons as well yeah well how'd you end up at IU were you looking at other schools as well or academics yeah, I I don't think I had a very good concept of who I wanted to be or what I wanted to do when I graduated <laughs> from school. It was just I had been focused on on my academics since I was little because that was something that 
I think came naturally. I probably decided to be a doctor when I was like 10 and then just kept going with it. Uh, and same sort of thing with my sports. So I knew I'll graduate, I'll go to college, I'll probably be pre-med simply because that was, you know, what I was planning on doing until I decided otherwise. But I was not necessarily planning on sticking around in Indiana. I figured it's whatever's going to, whatever opportunities might arise. And I didn't know what those might be. I was open to it. So Indiana was the, the only school that I applied to in state. And I honestly was not really planning on going there. <laughs> not for any real legitimate good reason. I think it was more so... Well, that's where most of the kids at Hamilton Southeastern end up going. And I don't know if I want to be doing the same thing as the rest of my classmates. Again, not for any good reason. I was 18, but I was yeah. just like, ah, you know, I've worked hard in school. would love to see if I can leave the state and go somewhere that, you know, sounds prestigious. And you know what? I ended up only deciding to go to IU, I think, after getting waitlisted at enough of those schools. <laughs> <laughs> to recognize that I got like a really nice scholarship for um, doing research at IU. And so I think at the at that point in time, I sort of begrudgingly decided, okay, I can make the most of this. But I came into school <laughs> at IU thinking to myself, I don't know what this place is going to be, but I haven't, and I'm not sure who I'm going to be here. I haven't really figured that out yet. Yeah. Yeah. And as you know, now in life, you're really young and you got to let things unfold a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think I didn't have much, a much of a sense of what things would look like down the line. I just knew, okay, I didn't have a good reason for wanting to go to any school in particular. And I know that, you know, I could be uh, a small fish in a big pond somewhere else, but I'm hoping that somewhere like IU where I have a sense of the culture, at least and being someone from Indiana uh, hopefully I could be a big fish in a big pond. Mm -hmm. What year did you show up in IU? What, what, fall of 14 or something? So I was there in fall of 2014. 2014 my freshman yeah. year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you live in a dorm. Mm -hmm. And how do you. Martin floor three. Yeah. When, when did you decide to ride for Theta or get, get be, even join Theta? I'm sure bikes weren't even in the equation yet, but. Right. So as I mentioned, I, I have a twin sister and she went to Purdue to study nursing. And at Purdue, they have their sorority recruitment in the fall as soon as girls show up on campus. So she had a really positive experience with that. She actually joined Delta Gamma there. And so based off of that, based off of living in a neighborhood at IU where most of my floor mates were going to rush, I figured no reason not to. It seems like that's... Mm an opportunity that I would at least want to look into at IU. So I decided to follow through with that. And I think that at that point, I wasn't someone who was rushing with the thought of I'm going to ride little five and I want to look for a team that will enable me to be good at that. I was looking at it from the perspective of I'm not sure what these four years are going to hold for me. But I am looking for a group of people who seem motivated and passionate about something beyond just, I think, the, the, par the party culture that is sometimes what I use known for. I knew that yeah. that's something that 
I couldn't see myself. I didn't know who I was going to become, but I wasn't necessarily interested in finding out what that might look like if I were to, <laughs> <laughs> to pursue that as, as like the, the cornerstone of my college experience. Right, right. Uh, and had you seen Little Five before? Have you ever been Little Five prior to getting to IU? I had not. Uh, it didn't mean too much to me, uh, but I think that I went around in the fall and at that time, it's all about, I think, going to a bunch of different club call-out meetings. For, it's that way you can get on the, the email list for those and then decide you're not joining those clubs, but continue mm-hmm. to receive those emails <laughs> for years after. Yeah. <laughs> and I know some of those clubs had little five teams and I remember thinking, I don't know if I want to be in this club, but that little five team sounds pretty cool. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I, I didn't follow through on any of those, but I did find myself when I was going through recruitment as, as a freshman being just really drawn to the teams or to the houses that, that had teams that did little five, because that said to me, here's a group of people who are all working together toward this goal. And doing it in a way where they are bettering each other and themselves. And I thought to myself, I'm pretty sure that's what a sorority is supposed to be. So I think that regardless of whether or not I joined their team, I could find those same qualities throughout the house, I think. Yeah. So you're looking for a culture that lined up with your values and what you were trying to get out of yourself. Yeah. And I honestly wanted one that would still let, let me focus on academics too. Cause I know that's not necessarily, doesn't necessarily run through as uh, as a tenant of, of every house. Mm-hmm. So I was, they had certainly had a reputation for um, having women who were, who were driven towards what their pursuits might look like after college too. So that really set well with me as well. Um, and then I actually, I met Abby Rogers who uh, rode for us for for several years. She ended up being the captain of my team my senior year, and um, I met her during recruitment. And I think that that was somebody who I connected with better than almost anyone else who I met throughout the the process of recruitment, in which you have to speak to certainly got to be between fifty and a hundred people. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I connected really well with her, not just with regard to cycling because I didn't know much about it at the time. But yeah. I think with regard to her vision for really caring about people and caring about being able to see what more there is to, to get out of your college experience. Yeah. Abby's pretty amazing. So it doesn't surprise no me. doesn't surprise me. You connected with her. Yeah. So you, uh, you get a bid for Theta, you join it, you join Theta. This is probably the spring of 16, no spring of 15. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and do you, when does the bike team or the thought of joining the bike team come in to the conversation? Well, I think the way that, the way that it works at Theta is that we're not out there rushing people who say that they want to join bike team or anything like that. We just have people go through the recruitment process and then end up naturally developing cyclists out of the, the women who join the house. And Mm -hmm. so Every winter when we have 50 new girls come in, the girls who are on the team, well, as part of our our new member education, have a night where we talk about, here's what Little Five is, here's what it means to support the team as a fan in the house, here's what it might look like if you want to do Rookie Week, if you're interested in that. And so 
I think then it was uh, Liz Lieberman was the senior in the house then, and along with uh, Abby and Lambo were were the juniors then, um, and Evelyn was on the team then too. So I think at that point they, with a team like that who had just won the race uh, mm-hmm. the year prior, and who were all so enthusiastic and clearly got along so well after they had said, like, here's a chance for you to get involved with this. I really didn't want to waste any time. (laughs) (laughs) So I think there were probably, there were three of us who decided to go through rookie week as freshmen. And so we got our our feet on the ground on the track right right then. And do you even own a bike at this point? How do you get it? No, I I did not. So I remember getting picked up at, at my dorm at Foster um, to go and to, and to do some of the, some of the events then. And so I knew that I knew nothing about it, but I remember coming back to my dorm wearing a Jimmy John's Jersey after being out for, I think maybe doing ITTs or missing out and telling my floor friends, Oh yeah, I I guess I'm someone who does this now, or at least I, I'm going to buy a bike and it's going to cost me several hundred dollars. So I sure hope that I'm going to be someone who does this now. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, your first ITTs in 2015, you get 123rd place overall. I sure did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's uh, so it's not like you walked on the track and were suddenly like an, an all-star or superstar. Yeah, but, I'm, but there, I'm but so there was... proud of that of that ITT actually because I think that demonstrates that I didn't just show up and be good at it. I think mm-hmm. that at least in terms of you know, now that it's been five years since I've raced, the narrative that I look back on and tell myself is that it wasn't that I showed up and I was good. It was that I decided that it was going to take some time to to cut off the the one or the two from <laughs> the 123rd. Uh-huh. Yeah. But there must have been something that drew you to it that made you want to come back and and double down and try to get better at it. Oh, absolutely. I think especially going through the process of rookie week as a freshman um getting exposure to these women who were leading the 50 women who showed up as as freshmen and were walking us through rookie week i just i think i saw it was apparent to me that there was as far as i could tell nothing that separated them from me and the other rookies other than the amount of time that they'd been doing it And I felt like that was really empowering, knowing that, you know what, they didn't own a bike when they were a freshman either. They didn't go and play a D1 sport somewhere else either. They didn't grow up doing this. They just decided to care about it, and I can too. And I think that I remember having a conversation with Abby before really officially joining the team to do Theta Cycling training uh, toward the end of my freshman year. And I said – you know, I, I want to do this. I see that, you know, this is like the most important thing that you do. However, I recognize I'm going to have like a pretty heavy burden of, of classes because I think I want to be a doctor for whatever reason. And I've got the scholarship that's going to make me commit to doing research at least 10 hours every week. And so do you think it's feasible for me to be able to do cycling on top of that? And I remember her saying to me, well, to be honest, that is fantastic. And a lot of us are in similar positions. 
So mm. what's going to make the difference for you is not anything that I tell you, but simply knowing that for every single one of us, we're going to find a way to make this work or we're going to find an excuse not to. And so you can take time, think about it if you want to do it, but it's going to be your choice at the end of the day if you want to prioritize it. Mm. And after that, I decided, well, I'm not going to half do it. <laughs> so I was pretty much all in from that point forward. So I went back um, after getting 123rd in ITTs my freshman year. I think getting eliminated in the very first lap of the very first heat <laughs> of my missing out. <laughs> um, and saying, okay, I must do something different than show up to the track if I would like to be able to contribute more than I have. Uh, so I went back and I knew that in order to be in any way prepared to go on team rides with these very, very accomplished girls who were in great shape when I made it back to uh, IU in the fall that I know I was like, okay, they've got to go on at least like 20 mile rides six days a week. And I've never done that before and don't own a bike and don't know how to clip in. So I went on Craigslist and I found a felt bike because I'm pretty sure that Liz Lieberman and Evelyn Malcolm had felt bikes. <laughs> so I thought, well, that's got to be, <laughs> that's got to be the key to success. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> so I found this like 54 centimeter frame, slightly too large for me, but I didn't mm. know it then. Felt bike, went there with some place in Indy with my dad, bought it in cash. And I think the guy knew he was probably getting a better deal than... <laughs> Mm. than you should have but I was just happy to have something and then went home that day there were already uh clip-on pedals at that point so I just decided okay well I'm gonna have to figure out how to clip in right now and then proceeded to <laughs> completely eat it in my own garage oh. <laughs> trying to figure out how to clip in <laughs> but I figured that you know it's got to happen at some point I you know no one no one starts off knowing how to do those things but from that point forward, I spent pretty much my entire summer. I was home back in Fishers then. So I spent all summer deciding I'm going to try and just ride uh, every day. So I, I think I set a goal for like 1,500 miles based off of doing the math for what I thought like a theta cyclist would do over the summer, which um, I didn't tell anyone on the team about it. And they afterwards were like, Rachel, you definitely didn't have to do that. <laughs> um but I rode every day all summer um and that's because I just didn't understand back then that rest days are absolutely fundamental um but I got hooked from that alone mm -hmm. were you riding by yourself in the fields of fishers <laughs> yeah I you pretty I was right at the edge of uh fishers where if you head in one direction you just go through suburbs and make your way toward Indianapolis and if you go in the other direction, which is the direction that I rode in, it's straight cornfields. You yeah. can get 200 feet total of elevation gain on a 30-mile <laughs> ride. <laughs> and so even though it, that should have been mind-numbingly boring, in my mind, I was like, this is, this is me making use of my time the best that I can to be able to feel confident that I've got something to contribute to the team when I come back as a sophomore. So you get back your sophomore year. Uh, when do you realize that you're pretty good at this? Like it's starting to click, the hard work's paying off and you can, and you can contribute to the team. Hmm. I think there's honestly such a, such a difference in 
ability levels right in the fall when everyone's first coming in because you've got girls who won the race last year are top 10 in ITTs and are ready to lead the team and then you've got a bunch of rookies me included who have never ridden in Bloomington nor up a not nor up a real hill in our lives Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so we were all coming from pretty similar positions then and there were probably five of us who were rookies at that point so there was a lot of corralling (laughs) to do for us um but I think once we got into to some of those longer rides on the weekends and I felt like even though oftentimes I was still hanging out at the back in princess seat right back in the middle that I felt like <laughs> even on some of those really hard climbs where we'd all string out going up firehouse and things like that that I felt like okay that was really hard but I still made I still managed to make my way up and I can look around and see these people who I'm like hoping to be like someday and not be too far off their tails. Yeah. How does the 2016 year go for you personally and and your team? 2016 I think it's it's a year that we learned a lot from because it's one where things we had everything that we needed I think to to have things work out well. And at least in terms of race day outcome, it still wasn't what we wanted. So we had two seniors that year, um, Abby and Lambo, and I wanted, you know, everyone wanted them to be able to, to get another win under their belts. And then we also had um, Evelyn, who was racing again that year, and Grace Bennett, who was a rookie with me because she came on to the team as a junior. Um, and then there was... Um, me and Sydney, as well as some other rookies at that point. And so we had a pretty stacked team. I think we had 15 people or five people uh, in the top 15 for Mm -hmm. ITTs. Uh, We won quals. We uh, had everything, I think, go as as we would hope. Uh, But we were also in the position of Liz had been a sprinter the year prior. And we didn't quite have we were we were hoping to avoid a sprint finish (laughs) Mm -hmm. and um because we had people to compete against like um like tabitha and like kristen bignall on uh phoenix and dg and we would rather not (laughs) yeah but i think that we just weren't that's what the race came down to at the end was was a sprint and so it wasn't really what what we wanted to see it was pretty devastating because it felt like everyone had done everything in order to put themselves in position to to win like we had the strongest team I think um overall and had the white jersey however I felt like that just showed to me all right we can be as good as we want to be and that's not the most important thing on race day yeah what you said you learned a lot that year like what what was the top thing you took away from that as a team that's I think it, as a, as a team, it'd be difficult. Um, for us, the thing that we could hang our hats on was we knew that everyone had executed the training according to what NAP wanted us to do as well as we could. And I think that was the thing that made it okay that that's just how little five goes sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't have to, no one had to stand on the track and say, you know what, I can identify the times where I didn't try like I thought that I could have. In order, to, in order to be prepared for this race. And so, you know, it makes it a lot easier than to 
be grateful that you got to have the experience that you had and to know that at least for those of us who were coming back that we could have another chance at it. And I did not race that year. Um, so for me, I had a, a similar sort of thing where I recognized since I bought my felt bike off Craigslist at the end of my freshman year, I felt like I had done every single thing that I could um, and listened to the older girls on the team and my coach to figure out like how I could contribute and hopefully be on the track on race day. And when you've got another rookie who is as strong as Grace, who got third in ITTs and was a far more stable rider um, as a rookie, like there's no way that I was going to race. Um, but being able to then say, you know what, I've done everything I can and it's not my time yet, but I can have another, another year or two to give it my best. That felt like it was the main thing that I learned was how to say, I did do everything I could and it's not the important thing here. It still didn't happen. Having patience and just accepting where you are and kind of trusting that you're going to get better. Definitely. I think perhaps one time where I I really felt that was uh, missing out that my sophomore year, I think was one of, one of my favorite things and something where I think that might actually have been like the point at which I said to myself, okay, I am not there yet, but I, I can get there because mm-hmm. I think I was still contending for a race day spot at that point, even though I think it was probably maybe clear to other people on the team that like grace was an absolute lock to be on the team on race day but i was still hopeful that i could weasel my way in and so mm-hmm. she had she had just gotten third in ITTs, and i was like all right well she's probably got <laughs> on lock but i'll get i'll give it my best i think i got in 11th or 12th or something like that yeah 12th. um yeah and we had um three returning riders so i was like okay well this might not be a year where I have much to offer besides on the fence, but if I do well enough in this and outs, maybe that'll do it for me. <laughs> and so uh, for whatever reason, I actually might attribute it to, to Tabitha Sherwood. <laughs> um, I made it to the finals that year and I got third, mm. which was in some ways surprising to me. But what happened was that I think I ended up in Tabitha's heat probably by like the quarterfinals. Um, if not, yeah, probably, probably that from that point forward. And I recognized Tabitha. I don't think that she knew who I was at that point, but she saw that I had a Theta kit on. And so I was over on her wheel and she basically said, you're my teammate from here on out. If you can tell me when these other girls are swinging around so we know when to accelerate. Mm. And I wasn't going to not listen to Tabitha. <laughs> <laughs> so I pretty much followed her my whole way. Uh, and did everything that I could to stay on her wheel all the way through the the very last lap of missing out. And then I got absolutely burned by Kristen Bignall and Tab in that one. Mm. <laughs> but I think that watching them just absolutely obliterate me on the backstretch, I was like, okay, I've still got a lot of work to do here. Yeah, yeah well, that's great. So you, you, Tabitha taught you a good lesson too about uh, tactics. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's no secret that for her, I think being able to, to be a leader in little five meant teaching women how to be strategic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so what's this? So <laughs> let's, let's go into the uh, 2017 year. 
you graduate some seniors or three seniors. So we so. lost, um, we lost Abby Rogers and, uh, and Madeline Lambert or Lambo that year. Okay. Uh, but returning for the team, we had enough riders that um, had trained the prior year, although not all of us had raced obviously to be prepared to field a team. So everyone after having, we had won two years in a row lost in 2016 and wanted to to be able to sort of get back on track Mm -hmm. the upcoming year and so Evelyn was our captain then um and she was absolutely determined to make sure that we were in form to have every opportunity to make that happen yeah how are you juggling the academics the social and the bike life by this point junior year I felt like I kind of had it figured out by then. Yeah. I think like my sophomore year, anyone who's ever taken organic chemistry and things like that knows that it's a massive time suck. But um, at this point in time, I had it figured out to be able to plan my entire life. So that way I could prioritize being able to bike if I wanted to and then fit everything else in on my own time. Like I had gone to, I studied abroad between my sophomore and junior year because I wouldn't dare miss an academic semester at IU where I could be training. Um, so I actually went down to Sydney, Australia with my bike mm. and was biking there all summer. And I chose to go there because I was like, I'm pretty sure the biking there is going to be excellent. But that's sort of, I think, emblematic of how I was prioritizing my time, my schedule. I had my academics made so that way I could have good afternoon blocks for riding um, all throughout the fall. And mm-hmm. so to me, it just felt like it was the at that point how i how i had understood to to plan your time in college so i i felt like i had it all smoothed out so that way i could get my classes figured figured out i could do my research and then i could focus on cycling yeah and so 2017 you you do itt's you get third so you're moving up to the top tier the cycling community little five the team's got a lot of experience uh, and race day uh, you know, it looks like you're in the white Jersey. So what what's the team thinking going into that race in 2017, your junior year? I think we were in that position of like, we can do this. There's not a doubt in our minds that we can do this. Also, this feels a little bit <laughs> like 2016, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. that we know we are really capable like grace got second i got third <laughs> evelyn got eighth and and sydney was up there too she got 16 for itt so it's like okay we're we've got it unlocked that we've got people who are really capable but that being said i think that perhaps the exact same thing happened in missing out where i made it to the final again and got roasted by Kristen Bignall again mm. <laughs> along along with grace too so we were like okay we are very much so capable and we think that like grace and i've certainly developed more sprinters at that point with grace like i think still having having um the best capabilities on our team at that point in time um but it wasn't in our minds like oh we've got this on lock it felt like the prior year of we want this more than anything have done everything we can and have no way of guaranteeing that on race on race day yet as you know no one can so we were going in hoping to find a way to 
hopefully not have a sprint finish again, but yeah. we had tried that the prior year too. <laughs> Uh, you end up attacking with like 30 laps to go. Uh, mm-hmm. who, who who comes up with that idea? Is that, are the riders like driving that or getting help from alumni and coaches? I think one of the one of the real benefits of being on Theta on race day is having nap in the pit. I felt like, especially with it being my first race, I watch a lot of race tape and I understand what my responsibilities are when I am on the track and being smart under those circumstances. But when it comes to this, the big picture strategy, Nap's going to tell me when I go in, look for an opportunity to break away or X, Y, or Z. But it's not like we've got some script that we're forced to follow of on lap 69, we're going to break away for 31 laps and everyone's going to time trial for the rest of it. That certainly Mm -hmm. wasn't like drawn up Mm -hmm. in advance. (laughs) So I think it was rather, we, we probably had the same plan that any team has ever had who wants to avoid a sprint finish, which is, well, I certainly hope that somewhere between laps 80 and 90, other teams will change. (laughs) We can go have a, have somebody do a, a nice extra one lap burn and then exchange with someone with that person maintaining a gap. Yeah. Who doesn't want that? <laughs> but I think that um, Nap and Grace were working together with when Grace went in to go, and he, he had sort of instructed Grace, look for opportunities. All of us were at that point. And I think that she was being really smart then of keeping an eye on the other people in the field who were really strong and – um, I think she followed them out really successfully, did a plus one, and then it turns out that we had enough of a gap that it looked like an opportunity that we wanted to to keep things going. But if you ask anyone who was in, a, in the pit at that point about whether or not we really intended to follow through on it, I think you're going to get a different story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's uh, little five pundits would say it's a terrible strategy to go that far away. You know, 30, yeah. 30, 30 laps to go, there's no way you're going to maintain it. Yeah, I mean, if it's equivalent to going with, like, 60 laps out in the men's race, anytime that I'm watching one of those races now, I'm like, okay, well, that team's not going to win. Like, they're burning themselves out so early. Yeah. But I think that I remember I had just come out prior to Grace coming in. I was sitting on my bike just so happy to be in the race, feeling like I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. And I had – you know, but listening to anything that Nap told me to do for the last year and a half. So when Nap said, we need to put Evelyn on the bike right now to try and keep this lead, I was like, oh, we're doing it. Let's do it. (laughs) But if you ask Evelyn, she was like, Nap, what are we doing? (laughs) And so I think that we needed to see it through of everyone going through an ITT effort um, to, you know, be like 15 laps into it. So that at that point we knew like, well, we've, we've committed. Yeah. And you, the team stays away. You win the race uh, by yourself. That's a great feeling, right? Your, your first race, you get a victory. Yeah. It, it felt like with, even with as, as hard as I had worked, I, it was not lost on me that there was a lot that, that went into, to allowing for that to happen because I knew that there were so many people who, were graduating who I had seen put everything into it just like I had and who weren't going to have that experience. Mm-hmm. So I just felt so lucky that mm-hmm. I had seniors like that um, 
who I had gotten a chance to learn from and that I had a coach like that and a team like that with a history that, that Theta has, that all those things came together, that training for two years to go and ride a couple of hard laps in the race could go and mean something. Mm-hmm. What, what makes Theta so consistent and so good more often than not? I think it's, it's, it's a tough question. It's got to be that there is really instilled in the team the idea that we're not out here on a one-off attempt to be good this year, and then we'll leave it to the next year to figure it out and pick up the pieces because we neglected to, to focus on them. I think it's that we understand that and, have, and are able to afford with, like, the, the support that the team gives and the alums give to be able to focus on developing riders who, you know, maybe aren't going to be your superstar when you're a senior, but that you're going to be able to come and see in a couple of years dominating the track. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that's not something that, you know, if a team's coming out of, out of nowhere and they're just trying to, to be able to exist, that's not some, like focusing on building a legacy of, keeping things going for decade after decade, it's just not really feasible. So I think I, I do recognize that I think asking, you know, how does a theta cyclist um, become good is kind of like, how does a, how did a, a wealthy person <laughs> go through the process of like building a fortune? Mm-hmm. We, we have all of the different things at our disposal to allow you to just focus on training as a rookie and then, keeping that going as a leader when you're when you're a little bit older mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's a nice deep network with and theta's got a, a big part of the women's race being one of the first teams there to start the race yeah i think with i mean it's got to be with like eight wins and i'm not sure exactly how many women women's running we had women's runnings of the race we've had but i mean if you roll, if you were to like roll a die, then at least like, you know, it's the same sort of odds that like Theta's probably gonna yeah. hopefully get another ring for one of those years. And that's gotta just be like owing to, to the support that's built up around that, that I, I, it would be incredible to see every team have that too. Right. Uh, so what's the summer of your junior year? prior going in your senior year like are you still focused are you still excited are you look still looking forward to your senior year at this yeah I at that point in time I think I had already decided um after meeting with a pre-med advisor and talking to them about when I would need to take the MCAT if I wanted to which is the um the medical school equivalent of the SAT basically um and it requires quite a bit of studying I had met with a pre-med advisor after the race and they told me that I would definitely need to take uh, that (laughs) test by, I think it was May of my junior year, if I Mm. wanted to go straight through. And I said to myself, well, I'm really not going to do that (laughs) and study or and prep for a little five at the same time, because I'd want to give my all to whatever it is that I'm doing. So I had already decided at that point that I was going to be taking a gap year before going to med school so I could just focus on making the rest of my time in college everything that it could be and so I spent um 
my my junior summer was really fun because um, I decided to study for the MCAT all summer and then ride my bike as much as I could and was lucky that I got to go out and stay with um, Caroline and Clayton Feldman, who um, rode for uh, Pi Phi and Cutters and won for them both, um, along with just a bunch of Cutters riders mm-hmm. <laughs> for the summer, um, as well as Madison Russell, who had just... Uh, I think graduated for BKB. And so I would go out pretty much every day and either go and do a long ride and then study or study and then do a long ride. <laughs> and it was just my ideal version of what I think that, that a summer should be. Um, and then aside from that, in my extra free time, I was just working um, as a nurse aide. And so I felt like this is all that I need to do to be working towards the things that I care about. Yeah. Uh, you're also, uh, you go into your senior year and you're the one giving the talk to the new sorority girls, right? Uh, you're, so yeah. you, get, you get to talk about little five to these aspiring writers. Do you remember that? The, yeah, I, I think I, I probably convinced too many people to ride because <laughs> I was so excited about it. Like we took on so many rookies who liked the idea of it based off of, uh, Sydney Keaton and I, since we were captains <laughs> that year, just being elated at the, what the experience looks like that we probably over-recruited <laughs> oh. <laughs> because everyone said, oh, that sounds so fun. And then I think that it came down to, to doing it. And then, you know, all, we probably had, you know, eight rookies who said, you know what, actually, this is not what we want. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we, had the, we had a couple stick around and it's always just just coming down to it. But we we loved it. We would give um, like a PowerPoint presentation with old school photos showing like the the little trike hundred um, back before we had the women's race, where they would ride around on tricycles and dresses, trying to balance mm-hmm. an egg on a spoon. Mm-hmm. And the winning team, I think, got an egg beater trophy. And then you know, flat. <laughs> then flash forward to what the race looks like now. We would sort of. Uh, sell it to the girls is you can be part of something that's really advancing like yourself your skills your leadership what women in sport looks like all that and so when we were we sold the whole thing because that's (laughs) that's in our minds what it meant to to be part of the team yeah and what does that team look like going into 2018 race so i think this year so there was me, Sydney Keaton, and so both of us had raced in that prior year. We had lost Grace and Evelyn, which like was a noticeable loss because, I mean, you wanted to, if possible, my junior year. If you were lucky enough to set yourself up in the roller room, like right in between uh, Grace and Evelyn for a workout, you mm-hmm. knew that you were going to really be pushed to do like everything that you could. So we certainly were missing them at that point. But we also had uh, Laura Ann, who was our rookie the prior year, um, who was going to be stepping up to, to come in. And then we had two rookies that year, too. And we knew that one of them was going to be racing. So that was our setup for the year at that point. And so at that point, it just came down to that balance that I'm sure most seniors face of saying, all right, I think that 
probably going to be the one on the bike at the end. So I, I do have a responsibility there, but I also have a responsibility of putting someone in the race who's never been there before. And if they are not prepared for it, that's going to be on me. Yeah. So you're, you're a teacher and you also have to be a little selfish at times to take care of yourself. Yeah. Uh, what's the race plan going to 2018? Uh, you're in a yellow Jersey, so that's a little different for you. Certainly. Yeah. I think it felt like 2017 to me felt like going into that race. I was like, finally I'm racing. I've been like prepping for this forever. I want to be able to, to help Grace and Evelyn go out on top. And if we do what we're capable of, it's going to be a huge team effort. And that's exactly how I think that race played out was that we had just had our entire team doing successive ITTs back to back. So it was like clear, I think, to everybody that any victory that happened there was going to be everyone had completely emptied themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, I think going into to the 2018 race, it felt like more pressure in the yeah. sense that you've got the yellow jersey on and you know how good it feels to win. And the only thing that could happen then is that you could figure out what it feels like to lose <laughs> when you're on the track. <laughs> and I know that that is absolutely the norm and that we had to be prepared for that. But I was just focused on being able to be devastated if we lose and not picture what, what that possibility might be. So Sydney and I were just hellbent on making continuing to make the most of our time and and having everybody be completely laser focused on that while maintaining like the, I think the balance that's necessary um with just developing a team which doesn't come just from only riding together but from really taking the time I think to develop a team dynamic too yeah uh, what's the strategy going into race day last year? Because it's a pretty good right, field right. still. <laughs> Little Fire always has a solid field. So Yeah. And I think we had had – it's sort of – I knew that I had finally, I think, developed into, into the kind of sprinter that I wanted to be. That's something that had been a strength of mine for – I think, you know, for most of my time that I was riding, but it's not something – that I had ever really seen through in a way that made me a hundred percent confident for being on the bike at the end of the race. You know, like I'd been absolutely roasted in the missing out finals, both year, like my sophomore uh -huh. and junior years. So I was prepared. I was hoping to be able to be technically smart enough to make use of the strength that I developed over time. And so I think after getting second in ITTs and, um, having perfect conditions unlike this year and um, being there for like a record breaking night for ITTs. I was like, okay, yeah. very much so capable of, of doing what I need to do. Um, but with like Brooke Hannon from Elanzana and Hannah Copens for DG, I was very cognizant that they were smart and fast sprinters. So I felt confident after winning Missing Out against both of them that I was capable of, of being able to win the race if it were to come down to a sprint. So that's not something that we were trying to avoid. But that being said, 
it was still a pretty close sprint and missing out. And I felt like I was going to see them probably again in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I think that our strategy then, which we did enact in a very real way, was to rest me as much as possible until it was time for me to go in. You know, ideally, we're still in that position of wouldn't it be great to break away between laps 80 and 90 by doing smart exchanges at a strategic time? And then we could just ride away and not have to worry about a sprint finish like, you know, as everyone has ever planned for. But how this one ended up going since we're always looking for that opportunity. But this race was crazy slow. Mm-hmm. I mean, just shockingly. <laughs> so we were not able to find an opportunity to break away if everyone's just still completely gassed up. What, so, but you go on the bike with like 20 laps to go or something. Yeah. So which is not, which is not what you would generally do with your sprinter. Right. So led, we were, we were going that. in thinking like, all right, we'll put in Rachel with uh, on lap 70, 76 and just let her hang out until the sprint. Mm. Um, that's not the, that's not the ideal move. And everyone would certainly agree with that. Rather, I'd probably been sitting on the cooler in our pit next to nap for the first 40 laps or something, just because I knew it was going to be a while for me to go in. And eventually nap was like, do you just want to go? Like the race was so slow and all of my teammates still had so much energy left that I was like, okay, well I can at least get on the track. Um, you know, it's time for me to contribute something. My entire team has carried me like the first 75 laps of this race. And I haven't even seen the track yet. So I decided to go in. And I think the thought at that point was um, I'll go in, be there for eight or so laps, toss it back to one of my teammates. And then maybe they can set me up for a breakaway. Um, if not, I'll come in in time to do the sprint and we'll see what happens. I feel like completely rested, but I came in and immediately afterwards there was a yellow. So that slowed a slow race down even more. And I then just spent that time, I think because, uh, DJ and Melanzana had been quite smart with, um, marking us the entire race. They were right behind my teammates wheels the entire time that they had been in and I was aware of that so mm-hmm. I I decided I'm very willing to sit a little bit further back than I should and have them even sit further back than me if that's going to come down to like them being willing to to see just how much I'm willing to sit out up until the point where it counts so I was sitting relatively far back pedaling as little as possible not being on the front of the race for 20 laps um and then I think maybe it must have been lap 87 where Nap said to me on the board you're in for the rest of the race and (laughs) the way that I remember it was that I we were on the pit right across the start finish line Nap holds out that sign for me and then I look up at the lap counter as I'm going around and I recognize now that I was wrong but I thought it said lap 78 and I was like Oh, what Whoa. a wild choice to make at this point, Nap. I don't know why you would do that. <laughs> um, and so I just went and came around again. Nap confirmed that that was reality. He wanted me to stay in. And I was like, okay, well, I trust you with my whole life, so I'll do it. Um, and then I kept riding around trying to keep myself in a, in a good spot up until I think I looked up at the lap counter again. And I was like, oh, my goodness, it's lap 94. And I realized at that point that when I looked at 
at the lap counter earlier, it must have actually been lap 87, which yeah. means that Nap was probably making that choice at the right time. Um, but by that point, I said to myself, okay, I get it. I need to get myself ready to sprint. And I was just paying attention to whether or not other teams had their sprinters on at that point since I had been in there for so long. And uh, it comes down, it's, it's a pretty big group sprint at the end. I don't know, six teams maybe, seven teams, pretty big. Yeah, yeah, it was massive. And uh, you eventually move up to a better position. And the white, yeah. flag, the white flag comes out. Like, Take me through that last lap that, if you remember it. Yeah, I, I do. Not surprisingly, it's sort of burned into my mind. <laughs> uh, so I think I had watched every single race tape that I could get my hands on. And um, this may or may not reflect well on me, but like I had a spreadsheet of where every single person who had won a sprint, like where they were going into the lead lap, where they decided to take the lead and all that. And so based off of that, based off of talking to Nap, and based off of having race and enough miss and outs and other things like that, I felt like I needed to be second, third wheel, something along those lines um, going into the last lap. And so I think just coming across the start finish line, I was coming around on the outside to make myself in second wheel. So I think I was unfortunately boxing in a and she asked for me to move. And I told her that, unfortunately, I couldn't because, you know, it was mm. down to the wire. <laughs> yeah. And I know that then there was, there was Teeter who was first wheel. And at that point, I was still, I was wondering where um, Hannah Copens and Brooke Hannon were since I knew that they were my strongest competition for sprinting. But seeing as they had been trailing um, our team the whole race, like trying to mark us, I figured, all right, I don't see him, but at this point, it's not my problem. I need to just do whatever it is that I can do. So I came around um, on the outside after turns one and two and wanted to do pretty much the same thing that I'd done in missing out that year, which was go at some point on the back stretch whenever it felt like the right time. Um, and it felt like seeing it happen with Teeter right in front of me on the back stretch that it was like everything I had visualized finally coming into real life. Mm. And I didn't know if that opportunity was ever going to really present it to my, like present itself to me, but I had visualized that every single sprint I had done for the last year and could hardly believe that it was actually happening. Mm. So I think on the back stretch um, with Lauren Britt right in front of me, um, I gave her just a little bit of a gap that I could accelerate into let her get away from me for just a second, accelerate into the gap, and then just pedaled it as far as hard as I could for the rest of the bike race. Um, and I remember looking back, um, going into turn three, because I was still nervous after how close Miss Nap had been that someone was coming. <laughs> I thought somebody had to be coming to get me. Um, so I know you're not supposed to look back on a sprint, but I did. <laughs> um, and so I saw that, in fact, there was no one behind me. And that only motivated me more just sprinted through and I did not lift my hands up in the air because I don't care what anyone says I was like this is too big of a moment I'm too nervous <laughs> we're going way too fast for that <laughs> so I, I I did not lift up my hands but <laughs> it was you know that that feeling that doesn't feel like anything else and I had 
I think that instead of lifting up my hands, what I did um, was I realized that in our prior uh, podium pictures in 2017, that even though like we were all elated, none of us had taken off our sunglasses for any of the podium <laughs> pictures. And I thought we looked like a bunch of dorks because of it. <laughs> so I was like, we're taking off our sunglasses if we make it to the podium this year. And so instead of lifting up my hands, I'm pretty sure I was going back through turn one. I just ripped off my sunglasses. <laughs> oh. uh, and then so I took the slowest lap back to make it to my team, just soaking it in. And that was it. That's great. And you make it back to your team. It's all smiles, hugs. Fans are going nuts. You are uh, king of the campus. What, uh, you know, as you go through all this, it sounds like this is an amazing experience. And coming into IU not knowing what your place was, you certainly seem to have found it. Uh, did you miss out on anything in college? Or do you, do you, would you have done anything differently? <laughs> I, I can say I wouldn't have done anything differently. And I've listened to enough of these podcast episodes to know <laughs> that everyone says that they didn't miss out on anything. And I think that generally speaking, I agree. But I think that something that was hard for me after I graduated because of how I had structured my time in college was that it was hard to walk away from... Mm the structure of little five it was hard to walk away from the structure of having classes and distinct goals and time frames in which to accomplish them so i moved out to to boulder and did a service year um before starting med school and i remember finding it just so tough to go and ride my bike without being able to say the reason i'm doing it is for my teammates and for little five and have that be so immediately available to me as the reason for going and doing something that I loved that I think that was a hard adjustment. I know that a lot of people feel that way after yeah. they graduate. So I think that it was kind of a rough transition to recognize and create like new reasons to do the things that, that meant the world to me. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm happy that, you know, I'm, it's still really important to me to be able to go out and ride. Um, and that feels like, you know, I'm not, I wasn't just a little five rider. Like I decided like, I want to be a cyclist, but figuring out how to be a cyclist outside of little five, when that's been your primary focus for four years, that was kind of tough. And I think that, you know, I'm, I, I guess I, Having that kind of personality, though, of being that goal-oriented and driven, fortunately, med school offers plenty of opportunities mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to continue with that style of, um, of being goal-oriented. But I think that there is a huge benefit to, to being able to offer a little bit more balance with that as opposed to trying to figure out how to be um, productive towards some end goal and everything that you do. Because I think that so much of my college time did feel like that. Yeah. Would you give any advice to a incoming stater writer on how to navigate that? Or is it just an individual thing? Um, you know, I think that part of what allowed for me to feel confident going into race days and my events and, um, 
and things of that nature were that I had checked every box and that I had gone through with a mindset of knowing this is what I'm doing it for. And so it's difficult for me to say that how, t- how tough it was to walk away from little five afterwards um, that I would have changed my mentality um, in order to avoid that rough transition. I don't mm-hmm. think I would have um, rather I'd say like, honestly, the only advice that I would have for that is knowing that if you talk to almost any little five rider who loved it that much, they went through that feeling too. Yeah. And so knowing that, you know, that's probably going to happen, that you're going to wake up and it's going to be 35 outside and you're going to say, there's actually no legitimate reason for me to go and ride for three hours <laughs> right now. <laughs> and that if anything, I think that just gives you a good reason to, to be grateful for, for your team, even after you've graduated. Um, because you realize that you weren't like, yeah, you had to be the one to, to get up in the morning and decide to, to pedal your bike. No one else is going to do it for you. But at the end of the day, your motivation was not just sourced from yourself. It really did come from your team too. Mm -hmm. Well, Rachel, now you're a Theta alumni and uh, how involved are you with the team? How much contact do you have with the writers now? Like what's your influence? Well, I, I adore the team right now i mean i think all of us when we graduate from theta we know that because we've been so invested we want to be able to let the girls who you have been captain for like take full ownership over the team when you're gone like you don't still want to be over their shoulder when it's their opportunity to to really come into their own as leaders um but now the girls this year um I never raced with any of them. I was never on campus with any of them, but they all share that same passion for the race that I do. And it's, that's really cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, we usually have an alum go on the winter training trips um, with the girls. And fortunately my schedule allowed for me to, to go with the girls this year. And so I think just seeing them continue to carry out the same traditions and to an extent the same workouts that that I did years ago. It's just the coolest thing because like I can see like listening to Olivia Hubbard talk about like how badly she wants to win that she feels the same way about it that I do. And I mean, that's true for all four of those girls. So it's just, I think really an incredible thing because then I know that, these memories that I have are just something that are long gone that I share with other alums, but that it's like this living, growing, breathing thing. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. And will we see you in April this year? Oh, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I, I've got, I've got my flight booked. I'll be there. Nice. We, yeah. we need, we need it. We need it in fan with fans and the whole festivities and the excitement of it. Yeah, I yeah. I will personally be bringing as much of that as I can, <laughs> as will the rest of the Theta alums. Oh, great. Uh, is there anything else I missed or anything else you want to share about your experience? <sighs> I mean, I, I, I don't think we want this podcast to, to be two hours. That'd be a bit much for people. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm just, I'm appreciative, Jim, that you take the time, I think, to to collect different people's narratives about this mm-hmm. because I know that coming out of COVID 
anyone who cares about the race is concerned that it, it might not look just like it has in the past. And because it's just at the end of the day, this dinky little intramural bike race where kids decide to train like D1 athletes for no reason other than they can, that the continuation of the race depends on people continuing to feel that way about it. Yeah. So I think that just being able to, to have people share, that's really incredible. So well, I, thank you for, for continuing this on. Thank you. I do love it. I love hearing the stories. I love the part where you have never heard a little five, you get exposed to it. You decide to double click and get better at it. And everyone evolves through it, whether you win the race or not, you see this evolution of the mm-hmm. riders, the riders who go through it. And I, I just think it's great. I love it. Yeah. Agreed. Well, thanks again for your time. It's been an honor to talk to you. Uh, and I look forward to seeing you in April. Likewise, right. Jim. All right. Thank you, Rachel. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. Wow. Thank you so much, Rachel, for taking the time to talk. You have an amazing story and I look forward to seeing you, like I said, and I look forward to following your career in life. Good luck with everything.